going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, well-known nativity story, the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out uh, in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So I really wanted to uh, just talk a little bit uh, around verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified as we go through life we find a few things that we sometimes think are truly glorious I don't know if something comes to mind when you you hear that word what what is glorious in life that you have encountered sometimes we'll look at a sunrise or a sunset particularly and it we're just our breath is taken away. It's absolutely beautiful. Maybe you feel that way when you look at the night sky. I know many times I've, uh, I've looked up and, and just been in awe of the vastness of the universe. I remember I was on a, a ship for many years and, and coming down sort of across the equator, coming south, and there was the Southern Cross for the first time I'd seen it in months. And it was like, whoa, it was glorious to see something so familiar. Maybe... Uh, a bit more prosaically, you've had a, a football or soccer or cricket team that's had a glorious victory. 
<laughs> maybe uh, they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat or uh, maybe it was just a really good game and a, a good win. What does it mean that something is glorious? Well, normally when we attach glory to something, that's what glory is. It's something that uh, glorious is something that has glory. We're usually talking about not, not something that's sparkly or shiny or something like that, although sometimes that might come to mind, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment, but we're talking about something that is really worthy of praise or, or, or something that just brings praise out in us, something that deserves our admiration. Because not everything that gets praise deserves praise, and a lot of things that, don't des- that do deserve praise don't get praised. But when something is glorious, it deserves our admiration. There's something intrinsic in it. Now, sometimes, sometimes the glory is intrinsic in it. Sometimes it's because of what has happened or what is done, like the sports team that's, that's won that game in a stunning fashion as compared to the universe or the sunset, which is just there and, uh, and glorious by virtue of what it is. Luke says the glory of the Lord shone around and our reading earlier talked about the glory of the Lord as well and God's glory, the glory of the Lord very much reflects this idea of who God is. Now in God's case of course it's also what he's done. God has done things that are glorious. When our breath is taken away by a sunset or by the stars in the night sky, guess who put them there? It's God. But it's also who he is. When we talk about the glory of God, we're we're thinking about his power. We think of God as being all power, powerful. We're thinking about his goodness. That God is the source of goodness. We're thinking about him as creator and as Lord of all. And so these are are, are things that God has done, but they flow out of who he is, that even if God hadn't done anything, he would be full of glory. He would be worthy of praise, even though if he hadn't done anything, there'd be no one here to praise him. Sometimes God's glory is, is shown in mundane ways. So the Psalms talk about the glory of God being displayed in creation. And sometimes we can get a little bit used to that and we don't necessarily think of that as, as God's glory. But sometimes in the Bible and, and sometimes uh, people have experienced the glory of God in an overwhelming way, a spectacular way. And often the glory of God, when it's mentioned in the Bible, uh, in, involves a light show, uh, the, the, the glory of the Lord. So we see here that the angels appear and the glory of the Lord shone around. And I imagine that's a little bit like God giving us a fireworks display. <laughs> you know, when we, we have a, a celebration. Uh, the, the, a couple of weeks ago in Ellenbrook, where I live, there was uh, our annual Christmas fair there and they had a fireworks display on everyone celebrating. It was very loud. Uh, God's glory is a little bit like that. Uh, it's a, sometimes a display. God's not just putting on a show. Again, his glory is emanating out of who he is, but it is a display that says, hey, something here is worth celebrating. Something here glorious is happening. 
God is being, in some way, his glory is being visibly revealed. The thing is, as we look through scripture, and of course in life, I don't know if anyone here has ever seen the glory of the Lord, the glory of God. I know some people who have claimed to, I never have. But we don't see the glory of the Lord manifest in that way, in a spectacular display very many times in the Bible. In fact, there's only uh, a handful. The phrase, the glory of the Lord, in the Old Testament, that would have been the glory of Yahweh, God's covenant name with his people. Uh, and, and the displays that go along with that only happen in, in a, a few cases. So we read in Exodus 24, verses 15 to 16, when Moses went up the mountain, so this is Mount Sinai, when God's about to give him the Ten Commandments. It says, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. So the cloud was the manifestation of God's glory. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it. So Mount Sinai, as Moses is going up to get the Ten Commandments and meet God. And then a little later in Exodus, again, chapter 40, verses 34 to 35, we read about the glory of the Lord coming on the tabernacle, the the mobile temple the Israelites built. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Fast forward several hundred years, the people are now in Israel and they're trading in their tent temple for a brick and a stone and wood temple. And 1 Kings 8 to 11 says, when everyone gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate and dedicate this new uh, lavish temple that King Solomon had built, when the priests came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And that's basically it. A few other times in the wilderness and Ezekiel later on, uh, hundreds of years later, as uh, the people are in exile away from their homeland, the temple's been destroyed and Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of the Lord settling on the temple. But that's just a, a vision. We heard earlier in in the reading at the start that Isaiah prophesies that the exiles will see the glory of the Lord. But again, that's a prophetic word. But you know, I think Isaiah was looking forward to this event that we've read just now, the coming of Jesus, the glory of the Lord shining all around as the angels appear to him. See, what we find in almost every case where the glory of the Lord is revealed is that it, is, it accompanies the presence of God among God's people. This is what it means. God is saying, hey, I am here with you. And it happens, where does that, on Sinai, which is a holy mountain, but in the temple, in the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle was the meeting place of God with humanity on earth. Uh, It it was a special place where the priests, the Israelites, would come to bring their sacrifices, where they'd bring their petitions in a special way. Now, we won't read it this morning, but when Solomon dedicated the temple, he said, of course, no, this temple can't hold you, God, nothing. The whole earth can't hold you. They knew that God was present everywhere. But there was something special about this place that manifested God's presence, that meant God's presence in a very 
unique way. And when God displayed his glory there, he was signifying that. He was saying, I am here. I'm among you. Now something different happens. The glory of the Lord is displayed again. But where is it now? It's not in the temple. The, the temple wasn't that far away. Bethlehem's not that far from Jerusalem, but far enough that it's in a different place. The glory of the Lord isn't displayed to hundreds or thousands of people thronging around this temple as it's being dedicated. It's displayed to a few shepherds in the field. Now, the interesting thing about shepherds, we have a kind of romantic notion about shepherds uh, you know, tending their sheep. We love that. Those who are familiar with the Bible, with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. But you know what? Shepherds in the first century weren't really trusted. They, they were considered, you know, they, they were considered dishonest, thieves, that sort of thing. You couldn't, couldn't trust a shepherd, really. So it's kind of interesting that Luke highlights this, because Luke is very much a... Uh, uh, his gospel is a gospel for the poor and so it's no surprise actually that he comes out and wants to emphasize that hey it's shepherds it's the humble it's the the rejected people who first see the glory of God the glory of the Lord being manifested and this demonstration of the glory of the Lord this manifestation is is also different because not only is it not happening in the temple it's happening out in in the fields with a few shepherds there but this is the first time we see this choir of angels. We see angels in other parts of the Bible, but it's usually just one angel. Isaiah has a vision of the temple and there's a few angels around. Here, it's like heaven is being ripped open and there's this whole choir of angels singing and the glory of the Lord shining around because something different is happening here. And I think what Luke is saying, and the rest of the New Testament backs this up, I'm not just making this up, is that actually the presence of God is moving. The presence of God is no longer going to be in this brick and uh, uh, stone and gold. I mean, the, the, the new temple that King Herod built was absolutely magnificent. But Luke's saying, no, that's not where the presence of God is anymore. In a sense, he's saying, that's not what the temple is anymore. The temple has moved into a little manger in Bethlehem. This baby is now the presence of God with us. And for a few years uh, in, in Israel, God walks around the dusty streets of, of Israel. But you know, the, the Bible goes on then and, and Jesus talks about himself being the temple. He says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about his own body. And the Bible goes on to say that now we are the temple of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, you can go read them later, but he says we, are the, we the church are the temple. Why? Because we are now where God is present in that way. We no longer have to go. You don't have to come to this building to meet God. It's just wherever his people gather in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And so something else happens now that God is so close. He, he's manifest in Jesus, God in, in human form. 
And now he, he manifests himself among his people. See, Jesus dies and ascend, rises again and, and goes into heaven uh, and sends his spirit among us so that we can have this ongoing, continual relationship, this walk with him, this presence, his presence with us. And Paul says something interesting. One of the other very few references to the glory of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 3, 12-18. Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. So Moses, because he kept going into the, the, the tabernacle in the desert into God's presence where God's glory was he'd come out and his face was shining the the Bible says and he had to put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't freak out and and Paul here is saying he he put that veil over because he'd been in the presence of God but as he came out of the presence of God then then that glory that he was reflecting would start to fade he says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. So he's saying what has happened in, in, uh, previously has, has now been replaced by Jesus. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person, and here's the key, turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as the glory of the Lord had been in the temple, and then it's manifest in Jesus' coming, and now as Jesus has gone and sent his spirit and Jesus is present with us by the spirit, where's his glory now? It's among us. And we see it in a different way. We, we, still, we, we don't see the, the shiny light and that sort of thing. That would be awesome. Although I think we'd be all be flat on our face in terror if God showed himself in that way. But we see his glory by looking at Jesus, by reflecting on Jesus, by reading about Jesus, by praying to Jesus. by the Spirit, not just reading the pages on a book, although well, I love to read this book, but we read the pages of this book with the Spirit within us and next to us, guiding us in that. And in that we see the glory of the Lord in Jesus. And Paul says we're transformed by that glory, from glory to glory. We get to Jesus. God became human to be with us so that we could be lifted up to him and be partake in his glory. This is the wonder of Christmas. This is the glory of Christmas that God presences himself with us. We don't have to climb a temple or visit, a, uh, climb a mountain or visit a temple. He's in our hearts. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas to gaze on his glory by the Spirit. And uh, not only on this Christmas morning, but every morning. And let his glory transform you from glory to glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. You do not share your glory lightly. But in Jesus, you invite us to step up and become part of that. 
And Father, I don't know about anyone else here, but my brain's not big enough to comprehend that really. And my heart, I know, isn't big enough. And so, Father, I pray that by your grace, by your spirit, you will help us to enter into your glory, to be transformed by it, and to shine your light all around us, a light of peace and love and hope and joy and faith that we celebrate at Christmas as we celebrate Jesus. Amen. Thank you, team.